0: Easter. we're so happy that you've come here to celebrate with us and I can't tell you how personally happy I am to see all of you here I was concerned about the time change because you're actually at a seven o'clock service and it's hard enough to get people here at eight o'clock and I thought Lord maybe we can have a fourth service Sunday if you could really do this every week and be out at seven o'clock we can handle some more people here really we're happy that you're here looking forward to a wonderful hour of celebration and worship our prayer is that on this Easter morning we'll all have an experience with the living God in a very personal way. Only you know what's in your heart, what needs you bring here, what expectations, and God knows. And one of the miracles that I've seen happen over and over again in worship is that God has a way of taking one worship service and putting your name on it so that when you leave here, you're gonna say, God, how did you know that's what I needed? And when that happens, I trust you'll be given the gift of Easter, which is the gift of hope, coupled with joy and love So that you'll know that in spite of what's going on in your world and in the world itself, our God is still in control. That Easter morning and the power it represents is God's, God's last word. So no matter what's going on, we can have joy. If we can grasp that, we have grasped Easter. And in that spirit, I welcome you to our Easter festival. of this service that kind of grab you by the soul and you need to express it feel free to do it any way you wish god loves to hear our voices he loves to hear our hands secondly i'd like you to extend some handshakes to each other and some hugs especially to our guests we just want you to feel at home and there's nothing like a warm hug to do that on a beautiful morning let's do that
1: Lord, we are filled with gratitude at the wondrous story of your love. Your life and your death showed us what amazing lengths you would go to just to demonstrate your desire and power to redeem us. We'll never forget all the shame and the suffering you took upon yourself in our place. And today we celebrate your triumph over the sting of death and eternal separation from God. Your resurrection gives us hope that despite our brokenness, There is a new and glorious life with you today, available and in the life to come. And only through your miraculous forgiveness and grace can we ever have such hope. May we live then as people filled by the Spirit of God, who extend the same mercy and compassion to others, to the glory of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. care of a needy world is what our special Easter offering is about this year. This year we're focusing on at-risk children, both here on the peninsula and around the world, meeting their physical and their spiritual needs. I wanted you to know also that a portion of this special offering will go to the National Church to a fund that will allow us to respond immediately to world needs like what's happening over in Kosovo. Uh, Already $70,000 from our denomination has gone to give medical supplies and shelter and food to those coming out of Kosovo. A portion of this offering will go to that as well. If you wish to participate in that special Easter offering, you can use the uh, envelopes that are in the pew racks in front of you. All other gifts will go to the ongoing ministries of this church and know that our regular day-to-day gifts is what, are, what allow our church to continue, to continue its outreach and uh, ministry locally and around the world as well. So we too can respond to those needs as they arise. Uh, I'd like to invite you now to join me in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would use these gifts that we now bring to you to further your kingdom throughout the world. Bless them, multiply them, and make them worthy of the gifts you have already given to us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Christ comes this morning, first of all, from the Gospel of Luke, and then from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, reading from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, "'Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God.' Jesus replied, "'A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests.' At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I have just married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless this reading to our hearts and his purpose.
0: Appropriate with all that's happening in the world for us to take a moment in our worship service here. We sit in Menlo Park in luxury that the world knows nothing about and there's a lot of suffering going on and we all know that Last night I was very touched when one of our members of a Jewish descent came and told me that this whole scene in Kosovo has reminded him of when he was a small boy watching his family being put on a freight car and taken to Auschwitz, And that just brought this very home to me as he choked up and could hardly talk That um, the world is a very ugly place with lots of violence out of our control. And therefore, we ask as Christians, what can we do? And I think that it's very important for us to understand that we, through our prayers, can do more than all of the weaponry and human attempts to solve this problem. So I'm going to call us to a moment of silent prayer, asking God to bring peace and to intervene and do whatever in his all-powerful mind would have in mind to make this end. And I want you to know that when we pray, that's doing something. It's probably doing the most significant thing we can do in a day like today. So would you bow with me and let's have some silent prayer on behalf of that whole situation. Lord, so much of life is out of our control. And that's good to the extent it reminds us we need you. And when it comes to this horrible suffering in Kosovo, which is only one part of the suffering going on in our world today, we know that you care, we know you love more than we do, and we know you're all-powerful. And so where we feel we can do nothing, we ask you to intervene and do a miracle. Our leaders have no answer for this. But you, O oh God, do. And we pray that somehow your healing, sustaining touch will come upon these thousands of people suffering, that you might touch these hate-filled hearts, and God, just do a miracle of bringing an end to this insanity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Some years ago, we had the privilege of being in Egypt, and we went to the tomb of King Tut, or as they call it there, King Tut-Ak-Aman. And when we walked in, I was impressed with the fact that it was an empty tomb. But then we went over to the Cairo Museum and there was the king's mummy with all his treasures. And the king was still very much dead. And all these treasures that had been put for his use in the afterlife were very much unused. And then a few days later, we were in Israel and we visited the supposed garden tomb of our Lord. And what was impressive there is that tomb was also empty. But there was no mummy, there were no remains, there were no treasures because he didn't have any. And, and what uh, struck me so much, and I, I can still feel that emotion standing in that tomb, was the uh, remembrance of what happened that first Easter morning when the visitors came and they were greeted by the angel with these immortal words, he is not here, he is risen. Possibly the greatest words ever uttered because upon that statement rests our hope this morning. The Bible puts the implications of the resurrection of Jesus this way. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me just a moment of all the news that we heard this last year flooding to us over the media. Could any happening hold more potential joy and hope than to know that Jesus has won the battle against sin, sickness, aging, hatred, genocide, physical death? You see, for the Christian, physical death is dead in terms of its implications for holding us in bondage. Death is no longer our ultimate enemy. Death has been replaced with the certainty of eternal life and there's no other message on earth that can compare with that good news but you know every year I prepare this Easter sermon and I often wonder what motivates people to be indifferent to this message I I thought how could anybody uh, just turn down the potential that if Jesus was who he says he was and can give eternal life who wouldn't take a leap of faith and take the gift particularly I thought last week, three things reminded me of the frailty of my own life. A friend was stricken with cancer. Some lunatic kidnaps three women and kills them. And then the Kosovo tragedy. Life is frail. Physical life is limited. In fact, the Bible says that our life is nothing more than a mist that appears for a little while and then is gone. So why such indifference... Easter's offer of eternal life well Jesus gave one explanation by doing what he does so well he told a story he said a king prepared a wedding feast and as was the custom in that day invitations were sent out far in advance of the event but when the preparations were finished servants were again sent out to tell those people who had been invited come on to the party now a banquet in those days was the happiest event in the ancient world because they just didn't have that much pleasure the strange thing is most people refused the invitation and they gave excuses the first person purchased the field and needed to care for it so he refused the invitation caring for a field is the modern equivalent to our preoccupation with our business priorities all of us know the tremendous amount of quote care required to sustain the lifestyle here on the peninsula that we either have or we desire but you know in moments of reflection and sometimes this even happens in Easter worship we sense a spiritual hunger gnawing away at our soul that's usually deadened with our frantic activity out there but once in a while it breaks through and it raises questions is the price I'm paying to quote care for my fields producing the contentment and the fulfillment I had hoped or a similar question raised by Jesus what will it profit us to gain the whole world and lose our own souls. Those questions awaken in us some startling realities, first of all, to discover we're spending too little time with family, friends, leisure, doing for others, the thing that kind of makes life worth living. Or we discover we're climbing a ladder, as I like to put it, but then too late we learn that it's leaning against the wrong building. Or we discover we're so busy with our overcommitted schedules that we're postponing responding to God's invitation to attend His eternal banquet by accepting Christ as Savior. And what Jesus says is, ignoring His invitation because we're too busy with stuff down here can be a costly decision, both in time and eternity. And one of the purposes of Easter is just to raise those questions and perhaps give us a moment to reflect and evaluate our priorities well the second man in our story purchased five yoke of oxen and so he refused the invitation notice this guy purchased five yoke of oxen because one wasn't enough and I thought how characteristic of the peninsula famous for our having insatiable appetites for more and for bigger common goals in the Bay Area we all know the litany the right house or a bigger house The right number of toys, hobbies, and vacation days, the opportunity to be included in the right social circles, a substantial salary, growing portfolio, and on and on goes the list. And yet, interestingly, the Bible isn't impressed with wealth. In fact, this sometimes makes us a little uneasy uh, because the Bible warns about the price of being so obsessed with more and more that we starve our souls. And that's serious. The Bible never says wealth is wrong, things are wrong. It just says that when we get addicted to more and more, to the neglect of our souls, that's wrong. In fact, the Bible puts it this way People who want to get rich fall into temptation and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Some eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What a tragedy! You see, the acquisition of things has a way of leading us on detours away from God. I often hear people say, you know, we used to go to worship. We were there every week, but you know, we bought a vacation house. Or we became involved in other pursuits and hobbies, and so much so, somehow the church was just put on the back burner. We're not mad at God, we just sort of ignore Him. Jesus warns us in love that in our drive for more and more of the things that the world say are worth having, we can shortchange our relationship with God, ignore our spiritual priorities, ignore our eternal future. And when this happens, Jesus says, that's a bad choice. Well, the third man married a wife. Now, this guy probably had the best excuse. Uh, the Old Testament gives a newly married man one year off from military service to enjoy his new wife. Now this third fellow illustrates a tragedy in life, not that he was married. (laughs) You know, at five o'clock I really blew that, but uh, anyway. (laughs) The tragedy was that it's possible to allow good things like getting married to crowd out the best things. That's the point our Lord's trying to make. I've observed families, for example, over the years here who seek the best for each other, and I'm glad they do, But in doing so, they somehow become spiritually lost. And that's very sad. Let me show you how it works. We make a sacrifice to get our children into the best schools because we really want to give them everything they need to get to the top in our society. We give them every opportunity at sports and activities. But then one day we suddenly find that the weekends are totally full, pursuing all these good things, while spiritual nurture is neglected. Uh Because of practice or trips here or whatever, our children miss church school, we miss worship. And yet our children every week continue to be bombarded by all the secular forces and values. That never is put on vacation. But this is where it gets serious. The years pass and then we become increasingly distressed at the values our children are holding, following. And then we become concerned about those with whom they hang out and what they do. And you see, children grow up indifferent to anything spiritual because they they saw us as parents and our priorities, and they're ignorant of how much God loves them. And then they begin to fill that vacuum in their hearts with empty pleasures of this world that can ultimately be self-destructive and lead to disillusionment. Now, obviously, the same process can work in the life of individuals who don't have children. Who, in the pursuit of good things, wake up one day because they've chased so many other things. And in the process, their relationship with God is zero. And that's a tragic loss. Now, the whole purpose of Jesus telling this story is not to put a black cloud on all of us or fill us with guilt. Jesus is always all about good news. And the good news of Easter. Is that no matter what the reason, if we postponed making a response to our Lord's invitation to come to his banquet, the good news is it's not too late. His arms are always open. No matter who we are, what baggage we bring, the track record we don't feel good about, how we sit here today wondering how could God love me. The good news is his arms is open, are open for you and for me. The bottom line of the Easter message is this profound truth. Life is short, but eternity is long, and the decisions we make in this life will determine the quality of life we enjoy now, and where and with whom we'll spend eternity. And that makes Easter very serious stuff, really. And those who accept God's invitation to attend the banquet by accepting Christ as Savior get two blessings. We live in this world knowing he's in control and yet we're also certain of an eternal future. Now I'm under no illusion that I can persuade any skeptic to become a believer either through the beautiful service we offer or um, these arguments I offer or my limited eloquence. There's one force that enables a skeptic to become a believer and that's the Holy Spirit and I know that's God talk for you who are in process of understanding Christianity, but it's really God who enables us to believe. But I can tell you this, God loves you, and that's why you're here. And he'll never give up pursuing you. And in spite of your doubts and your cynicism and your indifference, he won't give up. And he's reaching out right now to you who might be struggling to take that leap of faith, who have to eat crow after rejecting it all these years. And you're struggling to, to repent and to accept Jesus as Savior and become a Christian. And it doesn't make sense, but somehow you think you ought to step out of the boat and do it anyway. His hand is right there if you want to grasp it to help you take that scary leap. Think about the payback of choosing to trust Jesus as Savior. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow in this world with the challenges you brought through that door with you. So you no longer face them alone. You have a partner who loves you more than you'll ever understand. And you also know for certain that at the time of your physical death, it will be nothing more than a door through which you pass to be with Jesus, absent from your body, at home with the Lord. And let me tell you, that's one of the greatest treasures you have. We do memorials in this church by the dozen throughout the year. And there's all the difference in the world night and day, between someone who's a Christian and we know where they are, and someone who comes in here blurry-eyed, in despair, in darkness, not knowing anything about death, having any hope. Listen to Billy Graham talk about the moment his maternal grandmother died. The room seemed to fill with a heavenly light. She sat up in bed and almost laughingly said, "'I see Jesus, and he has his arms outstretched toward me, "'and I see Ben,' her husband, who had been dead for years and i see the angels and she slumped over absent from the body but present with her lord <clears throat> what a glorious experience for the believer billy concludes physical death described as glorious yep yes that's the mystery of easter because for the christian you see it is glorious death is dead But Jesus is alive. He said, truly, I say to you, he or she who believes in me has eternal life. When the body gives out, we're not dead. We just moved. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. And then Paul put it this way, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be conformed to his glorious body. I think that's an offer hard to refuse. And these moments in worship give you an opportunity to make, you, to make a choice that will change your life. There's a story in Sp- Sports Illustrated magazine that featured Little League player Chris Cardoni after he had led his team to the World Series, Little League World Series in 1998. Chris had been basically a bench player. He was tempted to drop out. With, he was encouraged by his parents to hang in there. And in the final game, he poked two home runs to take his team to victory. And his mother made this response. My son's a bench player, but we kept telling him, sit tight, your chance will come. What an inspiration this is for every kid who's just sitting and waiting, and all he needs is one chance to do something that might change his life. And I was thinking, God, that's it for Easter morning. Easter worship offers seekers a chance to get off the bench of indecision regarding this Jesus thing, to do something, to make a choice that will change your life. And on behalf of a God who loves you, I, that's, the, that's the invitation I extend to you this morning. Become a Christian, come to the party. It'll open for you a new today, it'll give you a glorious tomorrow. And you'll be with Jesus when he comes one day to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the good news of Easter. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for knowing us by name. Everyone here has felt your spirit. Those who have a a knock at the door, God, I pray they're going to open the door. Say yes. Take the leap of faith. Accept the invitation. Come to the party. God, I don't want anybody to leave here uninvited, outside. We trust you, O Holy Spirit, to do that now. In Jesus'
3: name, amen.
0: part of your Easter day, that God surprised you, I trust you heard a word that will leave you today filled with new hope and new joy and new confidence that God loves you. And that's been happening at Easter time through the centuries. That's led to this very famous response that Christians throughout the world will be doing today, where the pastor says, Jesus Christ is risen.
3: He is risen indeed.
0: One more time. Jesus Christ is risen.
3: He is risen indeed.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
4: Good morning. Good morning and welcome. We are delighted that you're here and delighted that uh, you knew what time it was this morning so you could be here. Some of us uh, didn't have any power last night and so it was a special adventure getting here this morning. This room never seems as small as it does on Easter morning, which is a good thing. We uh, have a lot of people in here and that's a good thing. Um, we also have some some of you who are uh, enthusiastically making room for family and friends. And uh, for the moment, that's all right, but know that in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to encourage those of you who are saving space to uh, surrender it for the greater good. How's that? And those of you in the middle sections, if you would squeeze toward the middle, we, we might be able to add a dozen or more folks. Uh, you know, some of you are are very close already, and... Uh, those, those of you can never mind. But, but those of you who aren't experiencing the kind of warmth and fellowship that we like to see people enjoy are, are encouraged to do that. And I'll be back in 10 minutes or so to see how things are going.